What's up, guys? It's Wednesday, June 12th. We're killing it today with another guest on the podcast, Nick Johnson, who's the lead developer for ENS, the Ethereum name service, discusses where they're at in development, the features he's working on, and how it all started. For those that are not familiar, ENS allows you to use a .ether domain for your Ethereum address instead of a long string of numbers and shit that you'll never memorize. It's very helpful and a great step forward for Ethereum overall. Also, don't forget to share this with someone that you think would enjoy learning about ENS. And if you haven't already, leave a review to help others find this episode and podcast as well. All right, guys, enjoy. This is the Block Hash Podcast. How you doing? How's your week going? Good, pretty good. Yeah, reasonably quiet. We're sort of between things at the moment, so could be worse. <laughs> That's good. Um, so, anyways, thanks for coming on. Totally appreciate it. I know you got a uh, busy week, busy busy day, and everything. Um, so, I won't keep you too long. Wanted to hear your story and how you got into crypto a little bit and um, how you started the Ethereum name service. Uh, so um, about three years ago, I was working at Google and uh, was contacted by a recruiter for a, a large financial firm. Uh, and they wanted to know whether I was interested in working for them on Ethereum. Uh, and I said, no, not really. But this Ethereum thing seems interesting and started playing around with it and looking into it. And uh found it fascinating. It sort of uh, pushes all the buttons for me. I like low-level stuff. I like infrastructure. Um, I love sort of the innards of computing and, and comp sci and so on and um, found it really fascinating. So I started building stuff on top of it. I think the first thing I wrote was a strings library for Solidity uh, and then started playing around with the node software, Go Ethereum and so forth. Uh, and next thing I know, after a month or two, I'm contacted by uh, somebody at the Ethereum Foundation saying, hey, would you like to potentially work for us on the Go Ethereum team? Uh, and by that point, I was totally and utterly hooked on Ethereum. So I said yes and interviewed and they offered me the job and, and that's it. I was sort of in the decentralized ecosystem. Um, from there, I, some of my initial work was on uh, Swarm and also on Go Ethereum. And while I was doing the swarm work, uh, it became apparent that one of the key things that was missing was a good naming service. Um, swarm needed a way for people to be able to point uh, human readable names at content, um, and they didn't want to use centralized alternatives like DNS. Uh, so we had to build our own. And so from there, I started working on the first version of ENS. And the first version was very heavily based on uh, DNS and you know perhaps slavishly so, um, but I quickly revised it and found that a different model works much better for the constraints of the Ethereum ecosystem. And of course, we can learn from thirty plus years of, of DNS experience and improve it. Uh, and hence, ENS was born. That's awesome. What what's Swarm again? I think I've heard it before. Um, is that have anything to do with IPFS or is that similar to it? It's similar to it. Swarm is the Ethereum Foundation's distributed storage system. Uh, the idea is that uh, unlike IPFS, it uses a, a distributed hash table to, to break up content into blocks and then distribute it evenly around the network. Uh, it sort of has more of a focus on censorship resistance. 
Um, and the idea is that anyone can connect to the network, set up a node that stores some data, and also just fetch any file or set of files from the network by by grabbing all the chunks and reassembling it effectively. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So is that something that um, ENS would an ENS domain would look to incorporate? Because I know that there's been people that have been attaching like content hashes from like IPFS um, to like ENS domains. Is that, is that something that it might work with as well, outside of the, the addresses? Yes, absolutely. So one of the very first things that ENS supported was was Swarm content, and we've since migrated to a new system that, that works for both Swarm and IPFS. Um, but yes, you can, you can upload content to Swarm, and then you can uh, assign a name to it using a, a content hash, and users with the appropriate browser or a gateway will be able to fetch it by that name. It really helps in terms of um, being able to increase how dynamic an ENS domain name can be. Because I originally thought that for the ENS names that you could only use it to resolve like an address, an Ether address, uh, just for payment. But once mm-hmm. I saw people using constant hashes from like IPFS and pulling up like websites and stuff, because I think MetaMask allows you to do that, right? MetaMask, if you plug in your ENS into MetaMask, it'll pull up whatever the content hashes that's attached to the Ether domain, correct? That's right, yeah. And so, you know, as you observe, uh, a lot of people use ENS for naming and, and ENS, actually, oh, sorry, for naming accounts. And ENS actually wasn't the first attempt at a distributed naming system on, on Ethereum, but it was the first that incorporated that flexibility that allowed you to name multiple different types of resource. Um, and it's built to be expandable so we can add new resource types without having to upgrade the entire system as a whole. Okay. Was ENS the first or is there other systems similar to ENS? So there was a, a system that was built right back in the very early sort of even pre-launch days of Ethereum called NameRidge. Uh, and support for that was actually built into web th- uh, early versions of Web three and so forth, um, but it's extremely basic. It's uh, it doesn't it's not hierarchical, so you have just a single level of domains. Uh, anyone can grab a domain, and once they have, um, it's theirs indefinitely. And it only supports pointing at um, addresses and content hashes, uh, and there's, so there's no expandability built in. There's no facility to add new types of content or new resolution mechanisms. Uh, or even, you know, new allocation mechanisms. So ENS attempts to be much more flexible both in how names are allocated and in how names are, um, uh, you know, what names can resolve to. Okay, so ENS has definitely got more complexity to it. Uh, so it's it's a little more complex, but it's a lot more flexible. So basically, uh, if you're... if Anyone who's a programmer knows that uh, if you have a problem, just add another layer of indirection. Uh, it's you know slightly a joke, but slow, but also quite accurate. Um, so ENS just adds this layer of indirection that makes it possible to to make the system extensible. So instead of when you look up a name, instead of just looking up the name and getting the address, you look up the name and you get the uh, address of a resolver contract, and then you query the resolver contract for whatever it is you want to know. And that layer of indirection means that people can write new resolver contracts that support new functionality, new record types, different ways to resolve content and so on. Uh, all of that without anyone else having to update, you know, their, how they resolve things or without any system-wide upgrades. So in terms of resolving content, um, other than like pulling up websites and pictures and photos and stuff, is there other integration that 
ENS is looking to implement in the future other than like just payments and pulling up uh, content hashes? Yeah, so I mean, I guess first I'd say that uh, naming accounts can be useful for a lot more than just payments. Uh, you know, naming contracts and so forth has has a lot of intrinsic value. Um, and to augment that, one of the things we've launched uh, that we want to promote further is support for resolving ABIs, so the interfaces for contracts via ENS. And by combining those two together, you can have a one-step uh, process to to find a contract and get the uh, the information to interact with it. So if you look at uh, things like um, my Ether wallet and my crypto or, or other generic tools, you'd be able to just enter the name of the contract and have it immediately provide you with an interface to interact with it without having to separately hunt down, you know, where is its interface uh, description. Um, on top of that, we have other uh, support for other things such as uh, text records, which allow you to insert things such as a URL, an email address, a note, uh, an avatar link, uh, things like that. Um, we have support for reverse resolution so that you can, uh, instead of associating a um, name with an account, you can associate an account with a name, meaning that somebody can get an account address and go, who is this? Um, and we're also working on uh, integration with the DNS system, so in, in, in a couple of different ways, but um, the one that's relevant here is that you'll be able to store DNS records inside DNS and then serve them via a gateway, so you can host your traditional DNS records via a decentralized infrastructure as well. Okay, cool. Did you mention avatars in there, or is that just me? Yep, uh, that's one of the supported text record types is you could uh, include an avatar URL in your uh, resolver, which means that supported software would uh, you know, show a, a avatar icon alongside your address or alongside your name. Okay, so that would just work like across the network. So if you were sending money from, or Bob was sending money to Alice or whatever, um, they would have their own avatar that would kind of pop up in terms of like interactability. That's the idea, yeah. It's still very early days. Uh, the text standard is fairly new, so we don't have a lot of client support yet, but that's the plan. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. That's That sounds really interesting. Um, and I, I know you guys are fairly a long ways into the seven-character domains already um, and way past the auction stage. And you guys have a permanent registrar set up for that now, right? Where it doesn't take like five days or whatever. It takes like five, ten minutes. That's right, yeah. So the, the initial version of the registrar required you to participate in an auction, and that made sense for the initial allocation of domains when lots of people were trying to register the same domains at the same time. But it was a lot less useful when chances are you're the only person buying that domain at that time, and a five-day process is, is pretty drawn out. So the transition we've made is now you can register domains effectively uh, immediately. The only delay is that we have to... Uh, have two transactions and a short pause between them because we want to prevent front running where somebody spies on your attempt to register a name and grabs it before you can. So at the moment, the process takes about a minute. You submit the first transaction, you wait a minute for it to be mined, and then you submit the second transaction, and the name is yours. Okay, and you guys were using like a, was it Vickery Auction? I was reading a Medium article, brushing up on it. can't remember. Was it Vickery Auction? Yes, that was the the uh, original system we used. Okay, yeah, that I was buying um, or renting out those domains as well, and yeah, the the five day process is a little 
tedious because you have to come back and you have to do like three different confirmations. And if you don't do those three different confirmations during that certain time period over like five days or whatever, then you end up losing your your bid for the domain. Yeah, that, that part was a little tricky, but the permanent register definitely made that a lot easier. Yeah, it's uh, we've found it's a big step forward in usability and for the stable operation of the network, it makes a lot more sense than, than an auction. Um, mm. And, you know, we've seen a, a corresponding uptick in the number of people registering domains because it's now so much more straightforward. I think aside from uh, the, the risk and the involvement of having to, you know, bid and then re- reveal your bid within a specific window, um, it also helps that because it's so much quicker, it can be much more of an impulse thing. You can be, oh, well, I've got a new project. I should register the ENS domain. You can go out and register it in the same sort of time frame as if you were, you know, registering a DNS domain. Okay, got it. So what's the timeline on domain names that are under seven characters? Yeah, so so for a bit of background, the reason we originally limited names to seven or longer is because we were aware that shorter names would be very much the most more popular ones. And we didn't want a situation where when we first launched the system, uh, people came along and squatted on every single three and four letter domain name uh, just to resell them to people who come along later. Uh, we wanted to make sure that um, the system was wi- widely known and, and you know lots of people were aware of it before we started allocating those. So the goal is that we're going to run a sort of a pre-registration process and we'd like to launch that in the next month or so. Uh, the idea there is that if you have an existing project in the space, uh, you know, somebody like Golem or Aragon or Status or any number of other uh, projects that have launched, um, you should be able to submit an application saying, hey, we want to register, you know, golem.eth or status.eth or, you know, whatever it is that, that um, represents your project. And you shouldn't have to compete with a whole bunch of uh, squatters and, and sort of outbid them in an auction just to own the name that you've spent so much time um, promoting and, and building a community around. Um, so once we've done that and we've sort of adjudicated who, uh, you know, who gets what domains, then all of the remaining domains will go to an auction, uh, similar to our original allocation, uh, so that, you know, if there are multiple people wanting the same short domain at the same time, they can uh, bid for it. And then finally, once that's done, uh, we'll move everything to the permanent registrar. So it'll be just like registering seven plus character domains now, except that the shortest domain allowed will be three characters. So in the initial phase, will that just be projects in the crypto sphere or is that going to include companies um, outside crypto um, that might also have a vested interest in their name? So we don't really, uh, we, we don't think there's really a sensible way to say, you know, you're a crypto project or not. You know, some things mm-hmm. clearly are and some things clearly aren't, but there's a there's a huge gray area. It's a lot like, you know, the, the definition of porn is I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> um, so I, what we're doing is we're trying to make, it, make the process as, as fair and transparent as possible, um, but it will be open to everyone. And uh, ultimately it will be up to, probably to us or to a, to a dispute provider of some kind to decide if there's multiple uh, claimants for the same name, you know, whether Apple Music or, or Apple Records gets it. Okay, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. So I do have a question regarding ICANN. So ENS having the ability to resolve constant hashes or pull up websites, do you think that ENS would end up working 
are getting accredited by ICANN or staying independent? And if ENS decided to stay independent from ICANN, do you think there'd be any issues with that? Yeah, it's an interesting issue, and it's one we've spent a lot of time. We've talked to uh, talked to ICANN, we've talked to people from the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Task Force, and so forth. Um, and it's it's complicated. The issue is that if you want to be uh, an ICANN issued top level domain, you have to agree to follow a set of rules that includes uh, their uniform dispute resolution process and so forth. Um, and that means that it would be under the same mechanisms for, for removal of domains and so forth that uh, most of the internet is today. Um, and there's, a, there's certainly a large portion of the community that appreciates the fact that ENS is a sort of a, in a separate system to that in that we're more, more censorship resistant, which has its pros and its cons. But I guess the, the position we've come around to is that we're working fairly heavily on uh, integrating DNS uh, domains into ENS. So we've got this integration called the DNSSEC Oracle, and with it, it's possible to uh, bring uh, DNS ownership into ENS so that if you own foo.com, you can own foo.com inside ENS and somebody can send ether to foo.com or load IPFS content off foo.com and so forth. And with that, it means that all of the existing DNS space is accessible from inside ENS with its existing dispute resolution mechanism and so on. So we think there's a benefit in, have, in keeping ENS.eth uh, as a sort of a separate domain that has its own separate dispute resolution system so that, or, or lack thereof, so that people can choose uh, which system works the best for them. Um, so we're not going to pursue being a, an ICANN accredited top level domain. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean ENS will never be in the global route because ICANN doesn't control the entire DNS route. Um, they they issue new general purpose top level domains, but there are country code domains uh, and there are special purpose domains. Um, but it does mean that that's less likely because there's, there's a lot less precedent for uh, adding a new domain to the top level route that isn't through ICANN. Right. It, yeah, it's kind of an interesting topic to think about because ICANN generally has jurisdiction to suspend only within the U.S. or U.S.-affiliated countries. Um, and I know that certain countries, in, including like the EU, um, are not necessarily subject to that. And that's why they, ICANN and the FBI, they had a trouble shutting down like Silk Road, for example. So it's interesting to think about ENS potentially like a .ether address being outside that jurisdiction, um, of which ICANN can reach. Yet in the U.S., you still have access to that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. And it definitely gives you your individual sovereignty in terms of what you're putting out there on the Internet. And so, yeah, hopefully it doesn't come down to any issues with that. Um, but you mentioned the, the Oracle aspect of ENS. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and how that works or will work with uh, dispute resolution? Sure. So it's not so much that it uses dispute resolution directly, but um, the basic idea is uh, with DNSSEC, which is the security extensions for DNS, it's now possible to to get a signed record uh, that, that identifies the contents of a DNS record and, and who it was signed by. Uh, and that forms a, a trust um, hierarchy much like the, the SSL certificate hierarchy, except that it's built along the lines of DNS. So 
for instance, if I own uh, a domain, you know, myname.xyz, uh, I can do a query for that and get back a result and along with a signature that says this was signed by the keys for myname.xyz. And then I can go and ask XYZ, what are the keys for, uh, for myname.xyz? And it can return those keys along with a signature saying, you know, that this is legitimate. And I can verify those. And then I go, okay, ask the global root, what are the keys for XYZ? And then I can use those in the signature to verify um, the, the keys I got back and so forth. And so the result is that you can um, get a DNS record uh, and have absolute confidence that it was signed by the owner of that zone. Um, and that the the chain of trust is preserved all the way up to the root, and so this is you know obviously this is useful for for DNS in general, but where it's interesting and useful for ENS is that we can verify all of those proofs on the Ethereum chain, and so what we've done is we've written a contract that is capable of verifying DNSSEC signatures, uh, and so you can uh, do a DNS query and then you can upload the results to Ethereum, and. Uh, anyone can then verify that those results are correct. And that means that if you stick something in a text record, like your Ethereum address, then you can prove to uh, applications on Ethereum that you really did stick that in a text record on DNS. Uh, and the way ENS uses this is if you uh, put a particularly formatted text record on your domain, and then you prove its existence, you can claim the same domain inside ENS. So currently that's only deployed for .xyz, but we intend to roll it out to, to many more top-level domains soon. And it means that if you own myname.xyz, you can own myname.xyz inside ENS, and you can use it just like you would a .eth domain. Uh, and where dispute resolution comes into this is that domain is still governed by uh, the DNS system and the DNS hierarchy and all of the dispute resolution mechanisms it has built in. So if you're confident with how that operates, you can choose to, to operate under the DNS hierarchy, but you can still use that name inside ENS. Okay, very cool. Yeah, that makes more sense. I, th I think a couple of days ago, I saw some articles showing that in one of Coinbase's new UI videos that they might be hinting at supporting ENS. Um, and it makes sense if they did, because they already kind of support you being able to send Ether via uh, email addresses that have, have been associated to other Coinbase accounts. Is ENS trying to get onto other platforms similar to Coinbase, or are you guys just kind of having them reach out to you on a name-to-name -name basis? Oh, absolutely. We... Um you know, a big portion of our efforts is reaching out to, to wallets and browsers and, and app platforms and so on, encouraging them to integrate ENS and, you know, showing them the, the benefits of doing so. Um, and, you know, we recently hired someone full-time to, to be this outreach person. Um, we've been sort of generally sort of poking at Coinbase and saying, hey, hey, you should do this for a long time um, with, you know, previously limited success, but it's really gratifying to see, uh, you know, that it looks like they're now going to integrate it. Um, we've, we haven't really had a lot of contact with them, though. It looks like they simply realized that, uh, you know, this had reached a sort of a, a critical mass um, that it was, you know, worthwhile doing for them. Um, and they've just done it themselves. So we know as much about it as you do. Okay, gotcha. Are there any platforms you guys are hoping to get on that you've been poking at for a while? Um, I guess the, um, probably the larger number of mobile wallets now support us. And, with, you know, certainly with Coinbase, that's a, a large 
uh, portion of the user base as well. But there's always that long tail of of things, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm certain that there's a few I've forgotten as well that we've you know we've prodded before. But there's a real plethora of mobile wallets uh, recently, so it can be it can can be easy to lose track. I guess one that comes to mind probably is is Gnosis and the Gnosis Safe, for instance. Um, and for, for that matter, hardware wallets are sort of the next frontier and, and a bit tougher because of their limited platforms. Um, you know, it's harder for them to, to provide a trustworthy uh, name resolution experience. Um, but basically, it's, it's, you know, we know them when we see them, we, we reach out to as many as we can. And we're also trying to expand that support because the first basic level of support is just uh, can it resolve names? But that you can go further than that. You can do reverse resolution where you show people's address books or, or lists of accounts and you look up the name from each account. Um, or, you know, when you enter a, an address manually, it can look it up and see if there's a friendly name or an avatar associated with it. Um, and then the next step, which uh, some wallets such as Status have done, is to actually allow your users to claim ENS names inside the app. So the idea is that when you sign up for uh, a new status account, you get your name.statusapp.eth um, just automatically without any, you know, any um, overhead. You just enter your name and it assigns it for you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to use ENS uh, more frequently um, and on more platforms as well. So really, really happy and really cool to see its progress and everything and its adoption throughout the crypto sphere. But anyways, before we wrap up, are there any important dates or announcements regarding ENS that you want to share with the audience or the people that will be listening? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, uh, we want to launch the pre-registration process for shorter names uh, early next month, um, so likely around July the 4th. Um, and for that, we're still soliciting feedback on on how the uh, you know how any disputes should be resolved between multiple claimants and so on. So I'd encourage people to go to uh, discuss.ens.domains and chip in uh, with their feedback. Um, and then a couple of months later, so uh, likely early September, we'll be launching the the auction process for uh, you know buying names shorter than seven characters. Sounds sweet. Well, hey, thanks for coming on and taking the time. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'm I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate it as well. My pleasure. All right, man. Take care. Thanks. Bye.